Hello, I am Father Jason Emerson, the rector of the Episcopal Church of the Nativity in Fort Oglethorpe, Georgia. You have tuned in to the Nativity Podcast, where we explore the love of God through scripture, reason, and tradition. Thank you for tuning in today. You might hear a bit of rain in the background. We've got, as is common here in Northwest Georgia, it's raining. It does that a lot here. So hopefully that won't overcome the sound quality of this episode too much. So a few years ago, I read the book, The Gospel and Parable, a book by Father John Donahue, a Jesuit scholar. Father Donahue lays down a serious challenge in the first chapter of the book, a challenge that I want to attempt to meet in the next few weeks of this podcast. He writes, Often, much Christian proclamation is ineffective because it speaks a religious dialect which becomes unintelligible to many both inside and outside the community. As a priest of a faith community that is trying to grow, I think he's absolutely correct. I can't speak for other Christian traditions. However, in the Episcopal tradition, we are notorious for gatekeeping using language. We have a fancy word for everything in the Episcopal church. A cloth napkin is a corporal, a plate is a paten, a cup is a chalice, a lobby is a narthex, and that's just a few examples. Donahue goes on to argue that one of the reasons Jesus' parables were so effective was because the language he used was the same as the everyday language of his audience. He spoke about crops and seeds, widows and landowners, laborers and judges. Since Jesus was highly effective at gathering a following, and I want to be better at gathering a following as well, or gathering people to follow Jesus, I should be explicit, I want to take up Donahue's challenge to speak concretely and securely while also while I'll, I want to take up Donahue's challenge to speak concretely and securely while also pointing to Jesus. I want to take up Donahue's challenge to speak concretely and secularly while also pointing to Jesus. So, over the next few episodes, we're going to take a look at the Catechism of the Episcopal Church. Now, I've already failed, because catechism is a very churchy word, and the Episcopal Church is a niche church, to say the least. Nonetheless, I am going to attempt to explain what a catechism is and what the Episcopal Church's catechism means in concrete and secular terms. Now, y'all keep me honest, and let me know where I'm successful, or more interestingly, where I'm unsuccessful. Let's start with the word catechism. A catechism is simply a list of teachings. Specifically in church worlds, it's a list of beliefs. The church believes and teaches these things to be true. So the Catechism of the Episcopal Church is the listing of things believed to be true by the church and consequently taught by the church. You can find the Catechism by following the link in the show notes. You'll notice that in the section titled Concerning the Catechism, the first sentence describes the catechism as an outline for instruction. In other words, it is used for teaching, for folks wanting to become Christians, for folks looking to join the Episcopal Church from other traditions, and for folks who grew up in the Episcopal Church who want to learn more about their own tradition. Consequently, the catechism is set up in a question-answer format. To put this in secular terms, it's like a FAQ, a Frequently Asked Questions page on a website. 
These frequently asked questions about the beliefs of the Episcopal Church cover a range of 16 topics, beginning with human nature and ending with the Christian hope. So let's dive into the first section today, human nature. Now, in and of itself, the fact that we are starting with human nature is helpful to my desire to put the catechism in everyday terms. We are intimately aware of what it is to be human because we are all human. So we are beginning in a place that is familiar. Keep that in mind as we move forward and compare your own experience of being human with the content of this section on human nature. The first question and answer pair is, what are we by nature? And the answer, we are part of God's creation, made in the image of God. Right from the get-go, we have some really important teachings. First, the world we live in is not an accident. It is a creation. We believe and we teach. I believe and teach the cosmos, the entire universe, is the handiwork of God. We'll get to who and what God is next week. For now, let's focus on the world not being an accident. This inherently means there is a point to our existence. Our existence has meaning. It is neither random nor haphazard. Rather, the universe and our existence is crafted. Secondly, we are made in the image of God. The next question in the Catechism is, what does that mean to be created in the image of God? And we'll get to that in a second. However, the belief that we are created in the image of God has profound consequences. First, it means that our existence is a reflection of why God created. It points us towards our purpose. More on that in weeks to come as well. Second, if we are all created in the image of God, that means that we all have inherent worth. We do not get to decide who is human and who is an animal. No matter if a person is a paragon of virtue or a notorious violent criminal, they are still a human created in the image of God. So, what's the next question? What does it mean to be created in the image of God? It means we are free to make choices to love, to create, to reason, and to live in harmony with creation and with God. That's the answer given in the Catechism. Notice this answer has nothing to do with physical features, nothing to do with biology or demographics or ethnicity, nothing to do with height or weight, skin color, citizenship, nationality, athletic ability, gender identity, or sexual orientation. None of those specific details reflects the image of God. Rather, it is our capacity to make choices. It's about our ability to love, our power to reason, and live in harmony with creation. That means we are created in the image of God. Despite being able to love and live in harmony, we don't have to look far to find discord, dissonance, and violence in our lives. Which leads to the next question. Why then do we live apart from God and out of harmony with creation? The answer, given in the prayer book, From the beginning, human beings have misused their freedom and made wrong choices. Alright, I have to admit that this answer leaves me a little wanting. It is more an observation than an answer. Certainly, throughout recorded history, and probably before that, 
we see humans living out of harmony with each other, the creation, and consequently, inharmoniously with God as well. However, that doesn't really answer why we do it. The answer is, or this answer is a what. It's telling us what we do, not why we do it. The answer to the next question is a little closer to why. Why do we not use our freedom as we should? Answer given in the prayer book, because we rebel against God and we put ourselves in the place of God. Now, we are getting a little closer to why we mess up. Essentially, this is a case of our strength also being our weakness. Because we have such capacity to create, we start to assume our own abilities can take the place of God. However, I think we are still not getting an answer to why we fail. The answer to this question of the catechism is more of a how we fail than why. The next question is, what help is there for us? The answer is, our help is in God. All right. This answer is frustratingly vague. I admit it. However, I think the choice of the word in is significant. It says our help is in God, not from God. Y'all, at first, that doesn't really make sense. However, let's think it through. If I help my neighbor clean out his garage, that help came from me. The help has to be within me, has to first be within me, within my ability to perform within my availability to perform, and within my willingness to perform. So, when we, the church, teach that our help is in God, we are saying it is within God's ability to help. God is available to help, and God is willing to help. All right, y'all. One last question and answer pairing. And this one I have two significant complaints about. How did God first help us, is the question. And the answer given in the prayer book, God first helped us by revealing himself and his will through nature and history, through many seers and saints, and especially the prophets of Israel. My first problem is using himself and his will. You will be hard-pressed to find an Episcopalian that actually believes God is male, and even harder-pressed to find a clergy person that believes God is literally male. There might be a few out there, but they are really rare. And if they really believe that, then they are mistaken. God is not male, nor female. God is beyond any concept of gender and beyond the biology of gender. This catechism was written in the 1970s, and thankfully, we are becoming more adept in our language regarding gender. So... I sincerely hope in the next rendition of the prayer book, we will fix our gendered language in reference to God. My second problem is the churchiness of this answer. If you have never heard of Jesus, never been inside a Christian church, or any house of worship for that matter, then this answer makes no sense. Maybe the part about God revealing God's self and will through nature and history makes sense to the general public, but who are these seers and saints, and who are the prophets of Israel? I think this answer is trying to refer to the sacred scriptures. Christianity, like the other significant religions, has foundational texts. We call ours the Bible, which is an account of God's revelation to and salvation of humans. However, 
There's a whole section of the Catechism on the Holy Scriptures, which we'll get to in coming weeks. So I think that's enough. So we're going to stop here for this week. Next week, we'll get into the section on who and what God is. Again, I remind you, you can check out the Catechism through the link in the show notes. Thank you very much for joining in. And if I've been too churchy, if I have failed in spots to put this stuff in everyday terms, please let me know in the comments section and I'll attempt to fix. If you came to the podcast via Facebook, please like, comment, and share it around. If you're a subscriber through Apple Podcasts, we would really appreciate a five-star rating and review. Until then, I'm Father Jason Emerson, and remember, God loves you more than you can possibly imagine.